a very serious and sober and sombering news. And there's some really exciting news. And I think what makes the really exciting news more exciting is to understand the sobering. The problem is when we, we come to this, we have a tendency to want to kind of, I don't know, move quick. Because remember I talked to you last time. I, honestly, I'm going to get to, chat, uh, to verse 31. Because once I get to verse 31, man, we start ramping it goes crazy, all these blessings, good things, God. We're not separated from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Promise after promise after promise. So right now we find ourselves in Romans chapter 8, sitting in a, in a section dealing with suffering. Anybody ever suffered? Well, the beginning that we want to look at today is we want to look at what God is laying out for us in terms of that concept, suffering. What's the purpose? Where does it come from? Every time I talk about suffering, I think about what we're doing on Wednesday nights. We're, I don't know, three studies down into the book of Job. And whenever, uh, whenever suffering comes to mind, I think the reason God inspired whoever wrote Job and saved it for us that it might be a part of the Scriptures, saved it for that purpose, that we might... Be able to understand suffering. And one of the things we recognize when we go through Job is the whys don't always get answered. Nowhere in the page of Scripture does God promise to give us the whys. He does, however, give us many promises. Six we're going to look at today. Six promises of hope that God is accomplishing through suffering. You remember last time when we closed, we talked about your inheritance, right? Where the Bible told us in verse 17, take a look at verse 17, chapter 8. It, it told us about our inheritance. In our inheritance, it says, And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. So what did we inherit? What is our inheritance? We talked about three specific things. The world, meaning the world and everything in it and everything associated with it. More, uh, probably a better word would be the universe. All that is in existence. That's part of our inheritance. God himself. That's probably one of the best parts of our inheritance, for sure. We have God himself. And, and the third thing is we have a redeemed body. We have a body, because your body right now can't enjoy all of the world and, and the fullness thereof that belongs to God. Your, your body right now can't enjoy the presence of God. Your eyes can't see Him. Your ears can't hear Him. Your, your flesh can't stand before Him. But God's going to give a new body. So you have all those things. The presence of God. A new body. Uh, all that's in the world and the fullness thereof. Everything that's any bit a part of the world. It's all yours. But you remember verse 17 had a conditional clause. Do you guys remember that? Right after he talks about the inheritance there in verse 17, he, he has a conditional clause. If we suffer with Him. And the rest of the paragraph here in Romans chapter 8 is going to deal with suffering, which is the bad news, and the promises of God, which is the good news. So I want to kind of 
we talked briefly about suffering last time. I kind of want to uh, rope in what, what God's talking about when He looks at suffering and the concept of suffering. And it's seen here in the Scriptures, right here. If we suffer with Him, then we shall also be glorified with Him. The inheritance hangs on suffering. Now here's the point. There's really no way to escape suffering. You don't escape suffering by becoming a believer. And you don't escape suffering by not becoming a believer. Suffering is sort of the reality of life, isn't it? So seldom we can turn on the news and there's not a tornado. Or an earthquake. Or a tidal wave. Or somebody blowing up somebody else. What do we call all that? That's suffering. Sometimes when we see the word suffering, we think all that God's talking about is persecution for our faith. And that's not what He's talking about. And we know that's not what He's talking about as we look at the rest of this paragraph in context with what God has for us here in Romans chapter 8. Our suffering and God's hopeful design. Well, let's take a look at it. Romans 8 verse 18. For I consider... That the suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Now Paul's talking. Does he really know what he's talking about? Does Paul understand when he says, I don't consider this present, the suffering of this present time? I mean, is he qualified to speak of suffering? Well, we know he is, but let's take a look at it. It's in 2 Corinthians. If you just flip to the, to, the, to the right, you'll come to it pretty quick. 2 Corinthians 11, beginning at verse 23. Here's what he says. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors more abundant. In stripes above measure, in in prisons more frequently, in deaths often. From the Jews, five times I received forty stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked. The night and the day I have been in the deep, in journeys often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of mine own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness, in toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fasting often, in cold and nakedness, and beside the other things which come upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to stumble and I do not burn with indignation? If I must boast, I will boast in the things which concern my infirmity. So as Paul lays out in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, we see the qualifications that he is able to speak to the concept of this present suffering. This present suffering and the concept of suffering. And his suffering, not only do you see in his suffering persecution, what else do you see in his suffering? It's not persecution for his faith that the storm wrecks the ship, is it? That's what we call a natural disaster. The natural disasters affect believers? You bet they do. What about unbelievers? Sure they do. They're a part of this world. What about harm that human beings can do aside from persecution? 
Does that touch the lives of believers and unbelievers? Sure it does. It's part of this world. It's part of the suffering in this place. The encouragement, remember, that we spoke of last time, was you're on your way to an inheritance. And on the way to inheritance, you break a wheel on your wagon. And all the way to your inheritance, you're complaining about the busted wheel on the wagon. The problem is, sometimes that busted wheel is a big thing. Sometimes it's a big problem. Sometimes it's really hurtful. Sometimes... Well, it's just like Job, who, for no fault of his own, lost everything he had in a day. And the one thing he still had beside him at that moment was a, a wife. And perhaps he felt like the moment that he, he hugged her and gave her the news about her children who had just died, he felt like, you know, if it's you and me, I think we can make it. Maybe right in the middle of that hug is when the boils appeared. Well, now he's unclean. She shrinks away from him in fear and tells him, Why don't you curse God? Be better to die than live like this. But Job, he holds fast to his faith, doesn't he? He holds fast to his faith for what I would consider one primary reason, and that is for Job, he wasn't central in his life, God was. God was central. So all the while, here's what what Job would say, what Job would say, the, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away, blessed is the name of the Lord. Here's what Job would say, shall we accept good from the hand of the Almighty and not evil? This is what Job would say, though he slay me yet, Will I praise Him? Will I trust in God? Because God was central in suffering. Here's what we do sometimes in the church, and it is a, uh, it doesn't provide a service to the body. We try to get God off the hook for suffering. The suffering doesn't come through God's hands. The only problem with that idea is the Bible. Because over and over and over again, God says that I sent this. That I allowed this. That's what we see in Job. And that's what... The scripture is going to intimate for us here as we look at verse 19 of Romans chapter 8. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. He moves from this present suffering to talking about all of creation. And let's look at it as a whole. Verse 20, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans with labor pains together until now. Now the first thing that, that, that Paul does in Romans is take suffering and 
our present suffering and move it from a, from a personal issue to a global issue. He moves it from a, a personal focus to a global focus. He starts speaking in terms of the whole of creation, of all of the universe, of everything around us. These are the terms that, that, he's, that he's utilizing. He's laying out for us pain on a global forum. That the whole world, the whole earth, all of creation groans. Why? Because the first thing that occurs when there's pain or suffering in our life is we isolate. And we think it's, it's just me. So the first thing that Paul wants us to know in terms of suffering is that it's global. It's everywhere. It's all the world is suffering. Not just me. It doesn't make, I'm not trying to make my pain less personal or less real. I'm just stating that it's not just the individual, the one who's suffering. It's the whole world, the whole globe, all of the universe is in a place of suffering. Spatially, we see that it's everywhere. You and I, we're all part of the groaning. The scripture declares the groaning of the universe. It also tells us that the whole universe is in bondage it's in bondage to these this idea of futility futility is a word that speaks of not measuring up to the expected end that when creation was brought when when god brought creation together there's an expected end of creation and we're not there that's the futility That the earth groans. That the earth moans. That there's emptiness. It's not just mankind that feels it. It's not just you individually that feels it. It's the entire creation. And he includes all of history. I want you to consider the phrases of time that he uses in the scripture. In in verse 18 he says, This present time. That covers our now, right? Was subjected, when he's talking about the whole of creation, was subjected. What's that? History long ago. Long ago it was subjected to futility. And then he says, it will be set free. Now that what that tells us, and when we look at the, the time frame of the suffering, we know that it is happening now. That it has been happening since long ago in past history. And the third thing we know is, it's temporary. There is a future day when there is no suffering. There's a future day that the scripture talks about, a day of hope that we're going to see in a moment that God wants us to grasp. He wants us to cling to. He wants us to understand. But I want you to look at verse 20. It says, the creation was subjected to futility. Not willingly, creation didn't choose it. It wasn't willingly, but because of Him who subjected it in hope. Who subjected all of creation to futility, to groaning, to pain, to suffering? There's only one Him. It's God. God. Subjected the whole universe. We call it the curse. We call it the fallen world. 
We call it a place where day in and day out we can come to recognize the horrific view of what sin does in the world. What sin does in the life of people. What sin, what happens as a result of sin throughout the world. We can recognize, we can see it, we can know it. The one who subjected it is God. And the other thing that's important for us to realize is not a consequence. It's judicial. That means it's judgment. God said to Adam and Eve, you can eat of any fruit of any of the trees, but don't eat of the the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. On the day that you eat of this fruit, dying, you will die. And then we see the judgment of God upon Eve, upon Adam, and upon Satan. And all of that is the universe being subjected to futility. Not measuring up to its expected course. Not being all that it can be. But rather being cursed. And that curse, and part of that curse, is suffering. That suffering from the hands of God. But listen, it was subjected. Look again. In verse, in verse 20, it says, It was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of Him who subjected it. What's the next part? In hope. What hope? What hope is it, is it subjected to? What hope is He talking about? We're going to come back to that. Hold on to it for a minute. Look at verse 23. It says, Not only that, but we also have the first fruits of the Spirit, or I'm sorry, we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves. So you see, he started personally. I don't consider this present suffering worthy to be compared. He moved globally to remind us that the whole universe is in a state of suffering. And then he comes back to the personal. He wants us to know it's not just unbelievers, it's believers. The people out there who want to teach you that there's no reason that you should ever suffer in life, we're not considering reality. Reality is, there is suffering in this world, and God not one time told us that there wouldn't be. He did the opposite. He told us that there would be suffering, that there would be difficulties, that there would be problems. But this curse that came upon the earth came, or was given to the earth by God in hope. Man, that is such a huge concept to be able to grasp, to be able to hold on to. But He wants us to know, we are a part of it. We are a part of it. Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. Not common to believers but common to man, that there is suffering globally. Now, if I look at the Scripture and I say, well, the Scripture says there's a global suffering, then I should be able to see it when I look at the world. Is that hard to see? Is there, is there, has man taken a day off of killing man yet? Have you ever turn on the news and say, you know what, today nobody killed another guy. It never happens. Because we see that global suffering. We see that suffering everywhere. And that's what we have first. We have to understand. It is a part 
of this fallen world. But the things that enter into our life that, that are our suffering. And sometimes they're very hard things. Sometimes they're very difficult things. All of those things happen in hope. Those things didn't happen for our destruction. Those things happened for our hope. For the hopefulness of what God is working, what God wants to do, what God wants to accomplish in our life. we got to hold on to that, that idea, that concept, that reality that He lays out for us. Because God's purpose in suffering is our hope. I want you to think of a story. Children of Israel are in a position of judgment. They were in that position a lot. Jeremiah the prophet had been telling them for years, you're going into captivity. God's judgment has come. You're going into captivity. There's going to be a moving company that's going to show up. They're going to show up with a bunch of moving trucks. They're going to load up all your stuff. They're going to take it to Babylon. Don't fight it. Don't argue with them. Just go. But God's people also had false prophets who wanted to tell the people the things they wanted to hear. And what they told the people was, this time of suffering is not from God. God's testing us. And so when those guys come, God will give us a victory. You fight. You fight and God will give you the victory and we won't go to captivity and we will, we will resurrect our nation. And then Jeremiah, over in the corner, he'd shout out, Hey, don't listen to those guys. They're not speaking for God. God said, He's sending the Babylonians. Oh, how could God send the Babylonians? They're not even believers. They're mean people. They're bad people. God, surely God would not send bad people down here to to take all of our stuff and move us to Babylon. So they believed the others and they fought. And they fought. And they fought. They were put down four times. Every time they were put down, more people died who didn't have to die. Because God said, I'm sending this period of suffering. Just go with it. So the children of Israel finally are conquered. Their families are torn up. They're separated. I've told you this before. Women over there, men over here, children over there. Never going to see each other again. No guarantees you'll ever be with your family again. You are stripped naked. And you are put in chains to the person in front of you and to the person behind you. And you're going to walk all the way to Babylon. And Jeremiah the prophet comes walking through the camp. And he says... I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord. Thoughts of good, not of evil. To give you a future and a hope. Always, in all times, in all suffering, it is allowed into our life. To bring forth the fruit of holiness in hope it is subjected. In hope 
Not for our destruction. Now we could go through the room and there's probably a lot of us in here who have been through very difficult times, very difficult things. And we say, man, this in my life was super difficult. This was so hard. How could this possibly be for the glory of God? And whenever that's been my attitude, I have placed myself central in my life and not God. When God is central in my life, all of a sudden I see my suffering through the eyes of God and I realize, I recognize that in this God is working something for me. And every time I talk about that, somebody says, yeah, but. Yeah, there are no yeah, buts. None. All of it, all of our suffering, we have been subjected to in hope, and it has entered our life through the hands of a God who is willing to die for us. He allowed it. That's the bad news. God allowed it. And the reason this part of this chapter is here is to decide whether or not we're, when we receive that, going to say, listen, if this is the way you treat your children, then forget it. What am I here for? Because sometimes that can be our attitude. Oh, you know, forget it. If, if suffering is going to be here, then, then forget it. God never said. He never said, I've come to save you from suffering. He said, I've come to save you from the wrath of God. We live in a broken world that groans for her redemption. The world groans for her redemption for the day when none of that's going to be true. When God is going to step in, when God is going to move, when God is going to change it all. So we see the bad news. Suffering comes, I believe, through the hands of God. The suffering of Job came from the hands of God. The suffering for the children of Israel came from the hands of God. The suffering of Paul came from the hands of God. Suffering comes into this world through God's hand. But it's not a suffering that brings us to the throes of death, but it is birth pangs for the kingdom of God and the revealing of His children. If you're in a hospital... It makes a lot of difference to you when you hear screams where you are. If I'm in the maternity ward and I hear screams, it doesn't fill me with dread. Now, I'm not a woman. That might be why. (laughs) That's what Kathy would say. It doesn't fill me with dread because I know... There's a life coming. If I'm in the oncology department and I hear the same screams, it fills me with dread because death is coming. When we look at this section of Scripture, which way does God liken the suffering? He says these are birth pangs. This is the maternity ward. There is something being brought forth. And we're going to see it when we get to verse 28, which is obviously not going to be today, right? 
We're going to see it when we get to verse 28. And we're going to see it when we get through from 28 to 30. And we're going to see it when we go 31 through through 39. We get through all of the section and we say, Oh my gosh, there is so much that's being birthed, that's being promised, that's being given. But we don't want to lose sight of where it comes from. That's what strengthened Job. You read the book of Job. Now, lots of suffering, lots of problems, lots of things people said. But you know what Job never said? He never said, this didn't come from God. What he said was, I don't know why this came, but it came from God. And I trust Him. I'm hurting. I'm groaning. Doesn't the Bible say that that we groan? Is there a problem with us groaning? There's not a problem with us groaning. It's okay to groan. You you sit anywhere near me down at the river when I get out of every chair, you're going to hear, Ugh. I don't want to hear no stop your groaning. It's the Bible. It's biblical. We, we groan. So let's look at the promises that he gives. Now we, we see the suffering. Let's look at the promises. We'll go back to verse 18. For I consider that the suffering of this present time not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Promise number one. God promises glory revealed or unveiled to us. What's that mean? You will see God. Do you know one of the things Job said in the midst of his affliction? He said, I will see God. Me. With my eyes. I'm going to see Him. You see, he was holding on to the hope. He didn't even fully understand the hope that says, yes, there is suffering now. But how do we go through this time of suffering? We look ahead to the inheritance and we remember, with my eyes, I will see God. Glory will be revealed. Unveiled. Revelation chapter 1, the unveiling of Jesus Christ, describes for us that revelation. The unveiling of the one whom we worship. The first promise, verse 18. Not just the suffering comes from God, but that we will see Him. It's a promise. The second one is in verse 19. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for... The revealing of the sons of God. Not only will glory be revealed to us, but then we will be revealed to the creation. All of creation, the earth, the animals, the plants, microscopic and macroscopic, all of it. I don't know if that's a word, I just threw it in there. You knew what I meant though, right? See? So all of that stuff eagerly waits it's on his tippy toes that's what eagerly waits means literally it means when your head is lifted up to try to reach something it eagerly waits for the unveiling of you of me of the children of god when god shows his kids he says this is my kids this is the kingdom this is the world that i created for you There's all kinds of scriptures that talk about where the wolf will lie down with the lamb. I don't know why people always say the lion lies down with the lamb. It's not in the Bible. Did you know that? 
It says the wolf lies down with the lamb. It, it, the scripture tells us that, that a child will play at the cobra's den. That all the, the lions will eat straw. Like an ox. And a little child will lead them. The end of the curse, the end of suffering, the end of pain, the end of natural disasters. The end of all that stuff on the day when God says, my kids, look at my kids. So the hope that we have, the good news, yes, there is suffering in life. But the good news is we overcome it by holding on to the hope that God gave it to us for. The hope that we're going to see Him. The hope that God's going to unveil us. He's going to reveal the children of God to all of creation. He is going to show us. Now, right now, it doesn't look like much. Does it? I mean, look at a person next to you and think, yeah. I'm really looking forward to the day that you are unveiled. <laughs> well, listen to what Jesus said in Matthew thirteen forty three. It says, Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. The believers. Colossians 3, 4, it says, When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. The freedom of the glory of the children of God. All the universe is waiting for that day. When the curse is lifted. When the suffering is gone. When the children of God are being revealed. The next thing that we see, that we we come to understand, is that God promises... His ultimate design in suffering is hope. He subjected it in hope. All of suffering, all the pain, all the groaning, all the futility, all the emptiness, all the things that enter into our life that are allowed to pass through the hands of a God who loves me, all of those things enter into my life for hope. For hope. It reminds me, This is not my home. I'm looking for a city that has foundations that last, whose builder and maker is God. Isn't that the hope that Abraham endured his whole life for? That's what it says in Hebrews chapter 11. The hope... All of this subjected to through hope. Next we see in verse 21, God promises that all of creation as well as the children of God are going to be set free from the bondage of corruption. Look at it. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty or freedom of the children of God. All of creation, not just you, not just me, all of creation... All of creation, there will be a day. All of creation, it will be over, it will be done, it will be finished. Listen to what God promised. Two places. I'm going to read from two places. One Old Testament, one new. First one from the Old, Isaiah 65, 17. For behold, I create a new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered or come to mind. The promise that God gave through Isaiah to the children of Israel. 
was a promise that in all this suffering, their hope was one day all of creation will be redeemed. All of it. Revelation 21, 1 through 5. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and He will dwell with them, and they will be His people. And God Himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will be no more death or sorrow or crying. There shall be no more pain. For all the former things have passed away. Then He who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. Isn't that what we're talking about here? The passing away of all of that stuff. Of all of creation being redeemed. When was that wrought? (coughs) My favorite scene in the Passion. You guys remember the Passion of the Christ. Was Jesus one of the many times He falls. They they do the the traditional falls um, that the Catholic Church holds to in the movie. And... One of the time he falls, he gets back up and he looks over at Mary and he says to her that phrase. He says, see, I am making all things new. Because that's where he did it. That's where he bought the redemption of the world, the end of all that worry, all that, all that Stuff that, that, that we get caught up in. He bought it at the cross. He bought it there. And that's what he's describing. No more pain. No more sorrow. So when we go through suffering, we have to recognize the historical aspect of it. It is temporary. It's temporary. It didn't come to stay. It came to pass. But listen, that leads us to the next point. The next point is that God promises that misery and suffering in this world are are not the throes of death, but the birth pangs of life. Look at verse 22. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Now listen, this is important, especially for the believer. All groanings of this world are the birth pains of the kingdom of God. And if you are part of that kingdom, a child of the king, all your suffering, all your pain, all your groaning, are birth pains. They're not the throes of death, even if they are the throes of death. There's no such thing as a death day for a believer. A believer has a birthday. The day he was born on earth. The day he or she will be born in heaven. That's what scripture declares. It's all suffering. All suffering brings forth life. All suffering is working out something good. That's what we're coming to in verse 28, right? Romans 8, 28, everybody knows it, right? For we know... All things work together for the good to those who love God and are the called according to His purposes. That's where we're heading. 
He's, he's letting us know that it's all about hope and the hope that this is life. Life is coming. Even though death happens, life comes from that death. To be absent from the body is what? Present with the Lord. In glory. Receiving all these promises. All of these promises. And the last one we see in verse 23. The last promise. God promises the redemption of our body. Listen to it. Not only that, but we also have... We also, who have the first fruits of the Spirit. Talk about that real briefly. We know we are saved because the Holy Spirit lives in us. That's what Romans 8 declared to us, right? If you're His, the Holy Spirit is in you. He says that one of the things that the Holy Spirit did is it it brought unto us the spirit of adoption. You guys remember that phrase? The spirit of adoption by which we can call out, Abba, Father. By which we can look up to heaven and say, Dad, I need you. I need you. That's the spirit of adoption. Those who have received the first fruits of the spirit, the first fruits to the Jew was the beginning of the harvest. What's the beginning of the harvest? The Holy Spirit is in your life. It is letting you know I'm here. Remember, we talked about all those things that are coming forth. And one of the first fruits of the Holy Spirit is the spirit of adoption. So those of us who have the, the first fruits of the spirit, even we groan within ourselves, we suffer. Sure we do. Do we have, do we have things we can't answer? Qu- problems, questions, struggles in our life? Absolutely we do. Absolutely we do. But what's it say? Even though we groan within ourselves, we are eagerly waiting for the adoption. We have the spirit of adoption, the beginning of it, by which we have the right to enter into the throne room of God and to lift our hands to the Lord and say, God, help. I don't understand what's going on. We have the same right that Job did. Through the whole book of Job, not one time did God say, Job, you, you did this wrong. Your words were not good words. In Job 42, God says, And in all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Did Job complain? Yeah. Do we complain? Yeah. Did the children of Israel complain? Yeah, it's one of them things we got in common, right? Complaining happens. God never, God never got mad at him about his complaint because Job's focus was on the Lord. He never charged God with wrong. He said, I don't understand what's going on in my life. But he never charged God with a wrong. And even while he's on the ash heap and his friends are talking to him and and trying to encourage him and all the stuff that's going on in Job's life, he is earnestly holding on to the redemption of his body. He thinks it's going to come through death. But for him, for you and I in the midst of the storm, how, how much work is it for God to say, peace be still? Have we had storms in our life that stopped before? So the storm we're in currently can, right? Sure, God can stop it, or God can use that storm to take us to our end, which ultimately brings us into His presence, which means we're the big winners. All of that. Man, we know, we know, we know the first fruits of the Spirit. We groan eagerly waiting for the adoption. So what is the real adoption? The redemption of your bodies almost done like just a couple more minutes first corinthians 15 
Can't stop now. 1 Corinthians 15. Flip over there because we say, well, what's the redemption of the body? What's it look like? Well, glad you asked. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 describes it for us. Describes for us what the redemption of the body looks like. (coughs) Paul says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment... In the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible, corruption, futility, groaning, substitute any word in there you want. For this corruptible must put on incorruption. This mortal must put on immortality. So... When this corruptible has put on incorruption and the mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, or grave, where is your victory? There's no victory in death for the enemy. There's no victory in death for suffering. There's no victory in death in any of that stuff. Because if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. It's to see... Corruption put on incorruption. Mortality to put on immortality. It's the redemption of the body. Man, that's incredible hope. The redemption of the body. That's what it looks like. That's what it is. That's the the sixth promise God promises us. Though we're going through suffering. Every one of these verses where He talked about suffering, He talked about a hope. Catch it. When you got time, go back through it. Work your way through those verses that we've been talking through. Every one of those verses where he talks about suffering, he gives us a hope. He talks about suffering, he gives us a hope. He talks about suffering, he gives us a hope. Because he wants us to realize and to recognize that he's the prize, not a life unhindered by problems or troubles or issues. He's the prize. Not anything else. He's the prize. Back in Romans 8, listen to what he says in verse 24. For we were saved in this hope. We were saved in this hope. The hope of the redemption of the body. The hope that life is coming through all this suffering. It's birth pangs, not death throes. That God is working on an exceedingly wondrous weight of glory in all this suffering. We were saved in this hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. What does that mean? That in the midst of our suffering, sometimes we can't see it. In fact, I can't ever see it. I get to believe it. I get to hold on to it. I get to trust in it. I get to be like Job, sitting in the ash heap with my hands raised to heaven saying, I don't understand this. I just got to love you. I just got to praise you. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, listen, this last part is the point. We eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews said it like this, we all have need of endurance. Two words for patience in the Bible. One used of God and man is a word translated long-suffering. It's always in relation to others. 
The other word is never once used of God. That's to endure. God doesn't need to endure. He doesn't have a problem with that. But we do. The word endure means to bear up under the weight of. To bear up under the weight of suffering. To bear up under the weight of persecution. To bear up under the weight. So the Lord allows the the suffering, the hope that He had when He brought the curse on earth and the suffering that went global. The hope is that we would endure. That we would learn to bear up under the weight of. Not to quit. Not to give up. Man, there's... There's so many scriptures. I'm not going to read them all. I'm going to tell you a couple though. James chapter 1 verse 2 and 4. Listen to it. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, which is hupomene, endurance, bearing up under the weight of of suffering, trials, and difficulties. Romans 5 says, not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. Hupomene. Bearing up under the weight of the things that are going on in our life. 1 Peter 4, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing is happening to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake in Christ's sufferings. And when His glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. The key to overcoming the suffering in Romans chapter 8 that he's talking about is twofold. The first part we talk about today. The hope. That it's subjected to us in hope. That we will learn to endure. And look for the inheritance, not the broken wheel. And look for the hope that God is promising us all the way through. Because the same thing He said to the children of Israel in Jeremiah 29.11, He's saying to you. Whatever's happening in your life, whatever disappointments, whatever, whatever, whatever. I didn't bring it into your life to destroy you. I brought it into your life for your future and your hope. He wants us to remember, to cling to, to hold to, to grab on to hope. But I told you the overcoming of suffering is twofold. The first part is what we've discussed. The second part, that's what the Holy Spirit does in our life with verses 26, 27, 28. Leading us to the point where we can say, I know that all things work together for good to those who love God and are the called according to His purposes. Amen? Amen. Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God Almighty, we come before You this morning and we're reminded, Lord, sometimes, God, sometimes in our effort to try to explain all the things that that are happening in our life or all the struggles, we, 
We can start to lose focus and we look in all these other directions. God, you never asked us to do that. You never asked us to find an excuse or a reason behind the suffering in the world short of you. Is you are God. But you are worthy of our trust and our faith. And the things that are happening in our world, the horrific events that are happening, all the stuff that's going on around us, are not the throes of death, but the birth pangs of the kingdom of God. It reminds us what sin has done. What sin is is accomplishing in this world. It reminds us that there is a better one coming. This is not my home. I'm a citizen of heaven. And I pray God that no matter what things we may face, chronic pain, chronic illness, destruction of our family, that we will be able to lift our hands to heaven and believe the word that you said that this pain, this groaning, this corruption, these things that are happening in your life right now are reminding you of your hope And part of that hope is the reunion of the brothers and sisters who have gone before. Part of that hope is the unity that we have in the body of Christ. Part of that hope is seeing God and feeling His touch as He puts His hand on my cheek and wipes away my tears. And He says, no more of those. No pain, no sorrow. Behold, I make all things new. God, help us keep our eyes on heaven. Heaven is not here. Heaven is where you are. Help us to keep you central so that the focus doesn't become my pain, but the focus is God in the midst of my pain. And though we groan, Lord, let us never lay at your feet wrong. Let us just lay down that I don't understand. But I know in whom I have believed and I am persuaded that he is able to keep me to that day. God, I pray that you do a work in your church as we look to you for the victory that is coming in the pages of Roman eight, Romans chapter 8. We recognize the beauty that there is now therefore no condemnation and there is no separation. We have it all in Christ Jesus. But what we, we don't enjoy here yet is to be set apart from suffering. But even in our suffering we have hope. And hope does not disappoint. For the love of God has been poured out in our lives. For yet, when we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly so that He could make all things new. God, we pray.
praise you. And we thank you for what you have and are doing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.